Yeah, we um, are continuing this series called The God We Can Know. And so today, uh, we're going to talk about bread, as you heard Patty say. So let's turn to the good news according to John, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 25. And if you don't have uh, a Bible with you, the, the words will be, actually, there they are right there on the screen. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate of the manna in the wilderness as is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and is gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all hungry? You know, yeah, yeah some, some of y'all probably maybe just rolled out of bed and hopped up and came here. Some of y'all had breakfast a long time ago. Uh, but are, are, are y'all hungry? And what is it that are you truly hungering for? I mean, we live in a society that, you know, we have so much food that we, we diet. You know, we, we give up food for something. But... For what do we truly hunger? That's the, the theme of, uh, of our passage today. And, and what we're talking about this week in this series. Uh, the God we can know. You, you, if you were here last week, you might remember this. If you weren't, uh, let me catch you up a little bit. We, we talked about the great I am. As proclaimed in the book of Exodus. And in that passage, we unpack for you the fact that this God who says, I am the great I am, comes down and calls us forth to go out into the world as he has empowered us to go and tell the evils of this world, the darkness of this world, this oppression that's in this world, let my people go. God reveals himself to us to do such things. But today, we're talking about this passage in John's gospel where Jesus says for the first time, I am something. I am the bread of life. And it is the bread that satisfies our true hungers. It's interesting, though, when we, we think about our, our culture and, and what we do, you know, thinking and talking about 
about diets and things like that. Have you ever, ever been on a diet? Any, anybody? You know, this is a skinny crowd. There's a few people over here. But, you know, the skinny crowd it, it, it here really doesn't know what a diet is. So let me catch you up a little bit. It is trying to not eat stuff to, well, maybe get a little better in shape or maybe lose a little weight. And it's interesting when you're, when you're on a diet and giving up something, when you watch on television that all sorts of things are going to be on television that you've given up and eat. There's going to be something about hamburgers. There's going to be lots of candy commercials. There's going to be stuff about donuts and cake. It's interesting on a diet that one of the few things you can eat, celery. And you never see commercials for celery, do you? you know, there's never anything that, oh, go and eat this wonderful celery, this delicious celery. You, you never see a commercial for that, right? I've been on many diets that have been, well, imposed upon me by my household. I'll just say that. Uh, <laughs> and it's interesting when I see these diets, you can say there's one thing in common with all of them. you got to give up bread. Mm got to give up that bread and that's hard for me you see my mama she was a great cook and every week she made loaves of homemade bread my mom was a person of routine so on Wednesdays she would have in the oven cooking this delicious sourdough bread and oh my gosh, yeah, walking in the door, coming home from school, there it was, wafting through the house. I would rush in there, there they, those loaves would be in the kitchen. I'd get out that knife and cut off the end pieces, slather it with butter, and oh my gosh, it's so good. My mom had bread at every meal. Oh man, it was wonderful. Our daughter has picked up her Meemaw's habits, and she has in our refrigerator Herman. Now, do, y'all have a Herm, do you have a Herman in your refrigerator? No, no, no. Well, it's not a person that we've captured and stuffed in there. It, 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 it's the sourdough starter. You know, you open up the door, and there he is. Feed me, feed me, because we got to put in some sugar and other stuff in there. But my, our daughter doesn't make it as often as my mom did, but she makes us some good, homemade, delicious bread. Oh, my gosh. So wonderful. And... Many of y'all may have someone in your house that cooks bread, or we have wonderful bakeries here in the high country, so we get to go out and, and, and enjoy this wonderful bread. But one of the things that we see in a lot of households is, well, do we have bread with our meals? I mean, that's been an argument my dear wife and I have had all the time that, you know, we got to have bread with our, our, our meal. And she said, we don't need bread that's an extra starch, extra calories. We, we don't need that stuff. And it may be the same with you, that bread is an afterthought, right? Or maybe something that you uh, put on the other other end of uh, some meat or some cheese, you know, two slabs of bread and with uh, some food in between it. By the way, that's called a sandwich. And, (laughs) you know, hadn't been around a long time. It was invented invented by a guy named the Earl of Sandwich in 1765. He invented that so he could have something to eat while he gambled all the time. I mean, it's, it, so these weren't things in Jesus' day. We didn't, Jesus didn't eat a, a fish sandwich. He just had loaves of bread. And when he says that I am the bread of life, what he's really telling the people there, and the way that folks in that time interpreted it was this, that I am that which nourishes you. I am that which sustains you. You see... Bread wasn't an afterthought to the people Jesus was talking about. Bread was their food. 
Bread is something that a lot of people, that's all they had. In his day and time, there wasn't wheat loaves that the people ate. It was barley loaves. You'll see earlier in the chapter when Jesus feeds the 5,000, the little boy whose mama packed him lunch, packed him what? Five barley loaves and, and two fish. So in Jesus' day, people sometimes, a lot of times, that's all they had for their meal. Their morning meal was a, a barley loaf. Their evening meal was a barley loaf. If they were fortunate during the day, they might have some vegetables or some lentils or, or, or maybe, maybe some chicken or, or some lamb that would be in a stew. And what would they use to eat that mixture of porridge or lentils or, or lamb, whatever it was? The bread. The bread was their utensils. It's kind of like down my way. In Alabama, their billboards for Cracker Barrel, it says this, biscuits, edible spoons, you know. <laughs> That's what they were doing. They had this barley loaf, and they dipped it in there, and they ate it. And the rest of the day, that's all they had to eat was this bread. So when Jesus is saying that I am the bread of life, he is saying to them, I am the thing that truly nourishes you. I am the thing that truly satisfies your soul. I am that which brings to you satisfaction and life. And he's also saying to them, I, I am the one that is the greater than the manna that comes from heaven. I am greater than the law that was given to you by Moses. I am the one that brings you to the Father. I am the one who is the way for you to have all that you need for your life. He's inviting them, as the psalmist said in Psalm 34, come. Taste, see that the Lord is good. Feast on me and you will have all that you need. But did you hear the words of what Jesus said? You know, why, why are so many people chasing after things that won't, will not satisfy him? He, he's echoing the words of Isaiah 55. This is, why do you spend your money on that which is bread? Why do you labor on things that will not satisfy your true needs and your true desires and your true wants? Why do we spend so much time doing those things and giving of ourselves uh, to things that ultimately will not bring us what we need, the joy, the peace, the satisfaction to our souls? That's a, a question I'm asking us today. I've brought before us, whoops, some different types of bread. And, you know, here's some old moldy bread. It even has the green on it. You know, we, we're pretty fortunate in our society in this day and time not to have to eat that stuff, do we? I mean, have you ever gone to the to your shelf and you pulled out the bread and had mold on it. You know, you, we don't want to eat that, do we? It's going to taste bad. There's, unfortunately, places in this world, maybe places even in our own nation, that, that, that if they had that, they had to eat it. But most of us, we don't have to partake of that moldy stuff, do we? We don't have to take, uh, eat stuff that's going to taste bad and, and leave a bitter taste in our mouth, do we? But people do. 
They know it's going to taste bad. They know it's going to be bad for them. They know it's not going to be something that's going to satisfy them, but yet they still do. It's kind of like folks smoking cigarettes. Have you ever looked at the warning labels on cigarettes? You know, have you ever seen those things? I mean, it says basically, this will kill you. <laughs> basically what it says, it causes lung cancer, causes heart disease, causes emphysema. It will cause the circulation in your legs to be cut off so you'll have amputations of your legs and, or your feet and your toes. It'll cause birth defects. It could cause you to go blind. It can cause you to have a heart attack. Yet people still smoke those things. And though those warning labels have worked for quite a while, I just read an article not too long ago. It says cigarettes have become sexy again for the younger crowd. Wow. Younger people are picking them up again, even though those things say that. Even though they're going to taste bad. Why? Pick up things that we know are going to taste bad and not satisfy us. In a, a book called The Lucifer Principle, Philip Zambardo says that it's interesting how people, good people, will in their alienation and how in, in their being, feeling like they're trapped in their lives, will start to become imprisoned to bitterness, to anger, to selfishness. It eats at their souls. It's kind of like moldy bread that tastes bad. And it seems like in our day and time that people are feasting on such things. There is an epidemic of anger in our country. That people are feasting on the moldy bread of social media. They're, they're snacking on 24-hour news. And it leaves within their minds and the hearts a bitterness and an anger. Recent poll said that 69% of Americans, 69% of Americans feel like they're, they're very angry or they're somewhat angry in their lives. 69% of Americans feel that way. In the first part of the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, there's Cain and Abel, and they have, each have an offering that they give to the Lord. And Abel's offering is pleasing to God, but Cain's is not. And Cain is bitter about this. He's angry about it. And the Lord comes down to him and says, Cain, anger is there at your door. You must master it. But what does he do? He nurtures that anger and that bitterness, and he takes the life of his brother. Psalm 30 says, refrain from anger. Remove wrath. Because it only leads to evil. Ephesians 4 says, do not go to bed angry. Now, we're going to get angry. We're going to get frustrated. We're going to get sometimes, uh, you know, disappointed. And it leads to frustrations in our lives. But hear this. We can do things that will not nurture it and feast upon it. Because, y'all, why feast upon moldy bread when we can have the bread of, that satisfies our souls? I may not have been, well, eaten moldy bread at every meal, but I have to admit, I've been snacking on it, you know? As I've tuned into the news and, you know, have my apps that pop up things that are going on in the world or the editorials and, and, and stuff like that that's happening, I felt the anger building in my 
life. And it didn't taste good. So, for Lent, I've deleted all the news apps. I've quit listening to the radio news and hearing all the stuff that's going on. It's amazing how much more at peace I've been. Now, I, I still, you know, catch the news. And I know what's going on some in the world, but it's not a focus. It's not something I'm feasting on. It's not something that is robbing me of my joy. It's giving me more time to pray as a conduit to the feast that Jesus offers to us in Jesus Christ. It's given me more time to read things that nurture my soul and satisfy my true longings. Can you imagine if more and more of us did such things and got off social media where all the ranting is going on and the semi-truths are being spread, and we took more time to read Scripture, read things that elevate our lives, to take time to see God in this beautiful world, this, this sacrament of His created world. How much more satisfaction we'd feel in this life. Hmm. Feast on Him. It's the only thing that satisfies us. Everything else feels like moldy bread in some ways. It doesn't taste good. But you know, just the opposite of moldy bread are these things. And there's a bunch of them in the kitchen. Now, guys, I really want to eat this right now. I, I, I really want to eat this right now. But I, I want to frank you know. So, so I'm, I'm not going to eat this. But man, oh man, when, when my wife and I were dating, and I was a cheap college student. Now, I'm, now I'm a cheap middle-aged adult. But when I was a, a cheap college student, we, we could go to Krispy Kreme and get 19-cent donuts and, and 25-cent cups of coffee. Yes, it was a few years ago. And, and, and we would go to the Krispy Kreme and watch those hot donuts come off the conveyor belt. I mean, there they would. They'd come in the conveyor, and they would swim in that grease. Oh, my gosh. They look like they're just having the best time. They're frying up. And then after they come out of, out of, they come out of the grease, they'd go through this vat of sugar just being poured all over them. I mean, oh, my stars. It, it looks so wonderful. And then they'd come out. And oh, oh, my stars, are they so good. When they're so hot and, and they melt in your mouth, if there was a dozen of them here right now, I know some of y'all want to head out right now. If, if there was a dozen of them, I, I mean, I could eat every one of them if they're just coming off that conveyor. Oh, my, they're so good. You know, I, I've heard there's cinnamon rolls in the kitchen. You know, <laughs> you know there, there's all sorts of things. Can you imagine if I made... My diet, nothing but Krispy Kreme donuts, cinnamon rolls, cupcakes, you know, hot apple pie, ice cream. Oh, can you imagine if that was my, the entirety of my diet? You know, I could sell shade, you know, if that's all I had as my diet, you know. I would be so satisfied in my sweet tooth, maybe, but I would not satisfy my hungers and my desires that are truly part of who I am. The, the sweet stuff represents the pleasures of life and, and the, the things that we, we pursue uh, that, that bring us some moments of happiness. 
And life has got to be more about than the next thing, the next event, the next adventure, the next item that we can buy. Now hear this. There's nothing wrong with those things. Jesus himself, when he walked the earth, he ate with friends. He gathered with those whom he loved. He was known by those who were the stodgy religious folks as someone who's a glutton and a wine-bibber, as someone who was seen by them as someone who liked to get out and be with people, but that was not the entirety of who he was. But so many people in our society, it's the next thing, the next event. What, what can I buy? What can I purchase? It's all about gathering and getting. It's all about trying to find that next experience, go to that game, go to that concert, climb that rock wall, whatever. Play that round of golf. And is it any wonder that Jesus, when telling this great parable of the sower, he talks about this soil where weeds grow up. For real quickly in that parable, Jesus tells this parable about a sower, which is a farmer, who goes out to sow and he casts seed out into different types of soil. And some falls on a path that it doesn't even grow at all. Some it's the rocky soil and it starts to grow, but it can't get any roots. But he talks about this soil that starts to grow. And it looks like it, the seeds are going to really do something. But then the weeds crop up and choke out all the growth. Later on, when Jesus is explaining this parable to his, his disciples, he says this. He said, that soil is the soil where the cares of life the pleasures of this life come and choke out eternal life. Is it any wonder in his last speech to the people of Israel, Moses in the book of Deuteronomy near, near the end, the 28th and 30th chapter, he, he begins to tell them, says, y'all, well, he didn't use y'all, he went from the south, but you beware when your crops start to grow, your cattle start to flourish, your vineyards start to produce, and you forget the Lord your God. Because, you know, it chokes out true life. If we're so full of the sweet stuff, we have no room for the bread that brings life, that truly satisfies C.S. Lewis put it this way. Maybe, he said, that pleasures become substitutes for joys. Maybe the pleasures of life become substitutes for, for joy. And that happens. We get so filled with seeking after things that maybe help a craving that Make us think, oh, we can be happy if we get this or do that. But they rob us of the bread of life because we're too filled with stuff. Hmm. Wow. One other piece of bread up here. I won't try to bite it because I might break a tooth. This is old stale bread. And Jesus, in talking to the people, there are the religious leaders out there. And they are so fascinated by 
their interpretations of the 613 laws that are a part of the Jewish tradition, that they are so caught up in the rituals and in following after rules that they miss out on the one who gave them the rules and gave them the laws. They, they are so tied to the staleness of the religion that they have no idea that standing before them is this one who brings them life. Jesus. They're so caught up in their, their religion that it has become stale to them. It is not life-giving to them. And there in front of them is the person who can give them life that's abundant. They feast on him rather than the rules, rather than their traditions. Oh, how glorious life would be. But they've traded this list of things to do. They've traded their knowledge for relationship. In Lubbock, Texas, a guy named uh, Robert Winder tells of a, a story of a uh, professor, and those of you that are app students here would like this professor, who taught logic, and he, he, he gave interesting exams. And, and on the final exam for this one course on logic, he, he said, you can bring in an 8 by 11 piece of paper and cram all the knowledge and all the facts on it that you want uh, to, to take this exam. And what would you do? Probably what I'd do is, I'd, I mean, I'd go through my book, I'd go through my notes, and I would write as small as I could in every margin, every, every piece of information that I could get and could find it, so I could do well on that exam. And here all these people came in with that piece of paper, I mean, crammed to the gills with, with all this writing on it. But there's this one creative student came in, and he had with him another professor of logic from the, from the college. And this doctor of, of philosophy, this doctor of logic, came in with the student, and the student put the piece of paper down on the floor and had the guy stand on that piece of paper. And then Robert Widener asked this question. He says, would you rather have facts and words, or would you rather have the relationship and have the person? By the way, he got the only A on the, on the exam. Uh, yeah. See, what happened is those religious leaders were so, so caught up in their ritual and their routine that they missed the one who was standing before them, this one that living love was flowing from his eyes. His, his embrace was there to greet them and to welcome them. He was there as a bridge to keep them from out of being trapped to their, their past and offer them a glorious future, and yet they're too tied to what was their history, their ritual, their traditions, and they couldn't let it go. They couldn't put down their stale bread to receive bread that was life eternal. And there may be someone right here in the midst of this room that's been a part of church all their life, but it's become routine, it's become a ritual, it's become stale. Maybe it never offered life in the first place. Because you see, 
There's so many people during this pandemic that have said to themselves, you know, do I need to be in a place that hasn't fed me? Have I come to realize that maybe my religion wasn't one that gave me life? Friends, if coming to church and reading the Bible aren't conduits for you to feast upon the word that is Jesus, then they have become stale or are stale. We have these things as gifts from God, as that bread that you dip into the bowl. You know, they are the utensils through which we can feast upon Jesus. But shame on us, church, sometimes. When we've taken the most exciting news that has ever been proclaimed and made it dull, routine, and stale. It's not. It's the bread that gives us life. Oh, I hope that you have feasted on that bread. I hope that it can be something that you nourish yourself with each and every day. I hope it's something that you can take into your own life. And may it bring you life that satisfies you. Now, we can't smell it that well in this setting, but there... There is a bread machine back there making bread. You could really smell it in the kitchen, but it's back there. And if you have real uh, sensitive snooters, you might be able to smell bread. Maybe some of y'all back there. But it's meant to usher you in the presence of the living bread. Because we have to ask ourselves as we leave this place, are we just satisfying our cravings? Or are we feasting upon the one thing, the bread, that satisfies our souls? So today, you're going to be invited to come. Now, for some of you, this is a shock because, hey, wait a minute, this isn't first, isn't first Sunday. But we're going to take communion today because this is a sign and a symbol of that living bread that has been offered to us in Jesus Christ. So may we be like those people who gathered around Jesus there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and said, Sir, give us this bread always. And he will. He will. This week, when you break bread, or for those of you that are gluten-free or not eating much bread, every time you sit down to a meal, say this, Jesus, be bread that satisfies my soul. Can you say that with me? Jesus, be bread that satisfies my soul. It will be. If you will take and eat and let him be the one that satisfies your true hungerings, your true desires, your true thirstings. May it be so. Let us pray. We come, God, knowing that the bread of life has come into our midst. It's the only thing that can satisfy our true hungerings or true cravings. 
Lord, we confess that we have feasted upon things that we know we shouldn't have. And it leaves us with a taste within our mouths that is bitter and, and can cause us much anger and sorrow. And Lord, we know we've been too enamored by the pleasures of life. And we want to feast on uh, the sweets of what we can attain or what we can do or what we can experience. But ultimately, Lord, these too will fail us and won't satisfy our true cravings, our true longings. And God, so many of us have thought that religion is what gets us what we desire truly, but religion is only a conduit to relationship with you through Jesus. Forgive us for substituting our rituals, our traditions, for a living, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And pray if someone here right now doesn't have that relationship, has never feasted on that word, Lord, we pray right now somehow, some way, some person can say, yes, feed us, sir. We long for that living bread. Father, we come right now knowing that you offer to us the only thing that satisfies our souls. May we feast on that bread and become what you have called us to become and realize our true destiny, that we are children of yours who have been invited to a glorious feast where Jesus is our host. Help us experience your grace and your goodness this day as we come to our Lord's table, knowing that it's his love that has brought us to this place right now. All this we ask, and through him, amen.